Welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with Anna Tashinsky, Andrew Hunter-Murray, and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, that is Andy. My fact is that the first man to use the word avocado in English was a pirate. (laughs) Avocado. (laughs) Avocado. (laughs) That just sounds like you say it normally, though. Wow, okay. This is a guy called William Dampier, and he was an explorer. Uh, he lived from 1651 to 1715 a normal man but he is he he was a pirate and uh, among lots of other things and he wrote this account of the avocado pear tree and that's in the oed when you look under avocado his entry is the first one he gave a little report about the avocado and said how nice it was how many entries are there for avocado then after his one well loads because the oed sort of gives they give a load of different citations yeah it's about five or six but i think there's only one definition i'm not sure you've got like the verb avocado (laughs) (laughs) this isn't the definition this is the citation Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He actually has over a thousand entries in the OED. Yeah. Of all the things that he has in the OED, um, I looked at them all where he's the first citation. So the first example Mm. we have, uh, he was the first person to use the word thundercloud. Cool. Which is quite good. Uh, To frape the the verb. Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Is it a frappe? (laughs) (laughs) He used the word meaning to bind tightly. But soy sauce tragic. as well soy sauce, soy sauce which is my favorite chopsticks um, chopsticks which yeah. are my favorite utensils and a lot of this is because i guess he was traveling so much um yeah. yeah and you know he was writing reports on his travels and so he was coming into contact around the world with a lot of words not previously known to english so it's, that's part of the reason why well i think that maybe even more amazing thing about him is that he had a great <laughs> recipe for avocado which involves <laughs> smashing it to pieces yeah. and adding sugar and lime juice oh, i.e yeah. making guacamole well, such a hipster he gave us guac Although the tragic thing about him is he wrote so much about guacamole that he was never actually able to afford his own pirate ship because he just spent Very so good. much money on the frappes as well. He's always stuck renting those ships, doesn't he? He couldn't put anything on the walls. So these words, he wrote quite a few books, but yeah. he had a very, very famous one, which was A New Voyage Round the World, which was a book that was so influential that Darwin took a copy of it onto the Beagle with him. Wow. And, you know, is it this one book where we get a lot of these? Most of them are from that. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, pretty yeah. crazy. I think that was his main book. I think he wrote lots of other random stuff but yeah that was his big one wasn't it and was it was it? really popular 1697 and it was when he'd gone round the world for the first time was it and then he went round another two times yeah. um and it was it was full of food recipes yeah. he was a foodie 
He was a big old hipster <laughs> foodie, barbecue, kumquat, tortilla, yeah. and he included recipes of what was the best thing to do with them. So he really recommended flamingo tongue mm. if you're ever in the market. Mm. He said it's very good. It's lean and black, and it's neither fishy nor unsavory. Yummy. He also ate armadillo, uh, which he said tastes a bit like land turtle, if you're not sure. Oh, like land turtle. Mm. Now yeah, I yeah. can picture it. Uh, yeah, he yummy. ate um, prickly pears, right, which is right. a type of cactus. And he said that it turned his urine so red that it looked like blood. Yeah. Okay. But I actually have some prickly pear candy at home. Uh -huh. um, so I tried some yesterday and I'm yet to experience any red urine. Uh, but I thought I'd bring you all some. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Of your urine, or it's <laughs> just a small vial James is getting out. I've got now. some uh, prickly wow. pear candies that I thought you might want to munch oh, on lovely. if you feel like oh it. Oh my god, they're yeah, delicious and yeah. they're very red. They look a bit like Turkish delight, don't they? I'm a huge fan of the show and tell element of yeah. the podcast now. <laughs> I really like, like James's uh, experience corner. That's <laughs> good for the listeners. One really really enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yummy. They taste a bit like um, fruit pastels, don't yes, they? Yes, exactly mm. like that. I'm really excited because I got these at Christmas and they've just been sat there because I didn't really want to eat them because they're made of cactus. I've finally got an excuse mm -hmm. to. They're so good. Um, he also used <laughs> to eat sea turtles, but he had a preference for the ones that were grass-fed. Grass-fed sea turtles? Is that turtles? an ethical preference? Or you, know, you don't want the ones that are grain-fed and kept in cages? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, he just said that they're the best of that sort, both in largeness and in sweetness. So quantity and taste and oh, yeah. it's just quite amazing to imagine that this guy who was a pirate let's remember yeah. <laughs> was going around it's like can i get grass-fed turtle please for dinner That's true yeah yeah he was a, he wasn't a very good pirate at first mm. his first act of piracy was an absolute disaster so it was like the british government was giving him permission to take over spanish ships wasn't yeah it? he was a bit more of a privateer mm. a sort of licensed pirate than a, a blackbeard the figure. spanish would call him a pirate for sure oh yeah 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 oh, from their the perspective spanish would call know. him a lot of things wouldn't they? <laughs> Um, well, he, he and his fellow buccaneers, they attacked a Spanish fort. Oh. That was very exciting. They managed to take it over, but the townspeople had left with absolutely everything valuable. Um, so it was a complete disaster. And lots of his voyages were failures, actually, financially. But he was always making observations, writing down recipes. And um, yeah. it was basically <laughs> long-distance book research that he was doing. Yeah. It's not what you've sent him for, is it? I no. haven't got you any gold, but I've come back with a Delia Smith-esque term. <laughs> so, well, Delia Smith actually used to be... Pirate. Uh, well, mer mercenary. She was a soldier oh. of fortune in the 80s, but a lot of that was recipe collecting. Yeah. Another thing that William Dampier did was he was the first British sailor to reach Australia. He, mm. he got there way before the first fleets got over there. And weirdly, he has a few moments that we don't really give him the sort of acknowledgement for. There's this weird passage in his book where he's in the Galapagos and he's looking at the turtles there. And he's saying, oh, they, they, they look a different breed. And I wonder if that's helping towards their mating and so on. Just writes a few random lines, just sort of suggesting that there's sort of evolutionary benefit to the way that they're shaped without naming that specifically but oh so he says these suit their environment because yeah. they look like this exactly oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. which is just so yeah. darwinian yeah. and right. darwin had the book nice he, he became very famous which is a nice as oh, in, yeah. once his voyaging days were over um he went to dinner with samuel pepys mm. he, he lectured at the royal society uh and the last bit of gulliver's travels is based on his journeys in part. Did he meet like a tribe of giants and the, all that stuff? <laughs> Those are the, that, that's, that's the second book of Gulliver's Travels, not the, not the final one. <laughs> the final one's a bit more normal. It just contains talking horses. Well, he was in South America and he did see um, some horses there. Uh, he said, um, here they have several horses, um, but what is most worthy of note is a sort of sheep they have 
which the inhabitants call Cornera de Terra. The creature is four foot and a half high, and they're frequently ridden by two of the lustiest men of the area, he said. Um, and he's almost certainly talking about llamas, we think. So he's one of the first people to see llamas from the West. So cool. What a life. It's very difficult when you read about him because he was in many ways quite a bad guy. Um, okay. I oh, think- oh, yeah, as a Spanish person talking. <laughs> <laughs> I've been talking to some of my friends in Madrid and he did not go down well there. Um, he, as anyone in that period, it was nuanced, to say the least, relationship with the natives that he met at various places and wrote some pretty awful things, for yeah. instance, about Australian Aboriginals. As a leader as well, he was pretty widely disliked. We should say the mm. thing maybe he's most famous for today is that he was also responsible for Robinson Crusoe, essentially, because Alexander Selkirk, who we think uh, Robinson Crusoe was based on, was on his ship and hated him so much or thought that he was very bad at maintaining the ship and said, I think the ship's going to sink. I'm not going to get on it until we fix it. And I think it was Dampier who said, no, the ship's fine. Yeah. Um, we can sail this ship. So was this halfway through a voyage, you mean? They'd halfway through somewhere. a voyage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. basically they were going around Cape Horn and this guy Selkirk said don't go around Cape Horn it's a terrible place to go around there's always storms it's high winds it's like the middle of hurricane season or whatever we can't do that and then they went well we're going to do it anyway and so by the time they got through all of the ships were a little bit bashed and he was like these are going to sink on the way home get me off here get me to wherever the nearest island is I want to go to the nearest island and so they sent him to the nearest island and as, the, as he got so there mad. the other ship started to go away and he's like I've changed my mind I've changed my mind <laughs> <laughs> and they were like pretending they couldn't hear him and so what? what what sorry we love it um, I read Robinson Crusoe a year or two ago and there's no mention at the beginning of it that he was a really annoying backseat driver <laughs> and it's very sympathetically presented yeah. in Defoe's book well but I mean then, to be fair he had a bloody good point because yeah. the ship sank shortly afterwards and yeah. most of the crew That's died even and the rest more ended up in annoying when the backseat driver turns out to be right That's yeah. really frustrating but didn't Selkirk then get picked up four years later on another ship that had Dampier on it. Yeah, he did. Oh so it's, it's imagine God, that. Imagine. He's like, finally, someone's going to do it. <laughs> but then when he got back on that ship, he realised and he was like, no, I want to be marooned again. <laughs> and they eventually talked him round. As in he genuinely was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that sounds like a joke, but yeah, he genuinely yeah, yeah. did say. Yeah. Um, set me off. As they picked up Selkirk, they managed to find a, a, a Spanish fleet, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And they managed to get a load of treasure from them, a load of booty, which meant Selkirk got a load of money and he could retire when he got back to Britain. Mm-hmm. So he came home, he was very rich, but he couldn't quite readjust to society because he'd been on this island for however long, yeah. being a Robinson Crusoe guy. And so he went to Scotland and spent 15 years living in a cave. Oh my wow. God. Which feels to me like a missed um, sequel to Robinson Crusoe, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Robinson Crusoe lives in a cave. That's I think it's nice got all the promise of a disappointing <laughs> second series, I have to say. <laughs> no, I like it like Robinson Tuso. Yeah. Is yeah. what okay. I would call it. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Well, you write books now. Can't you? <laughs> so Dampier, the first person in the OED to mention the word avocado as we say it today. But yep. um, before that, they had different ways of saying the word. So um, we kind of get it from the Spanish word. People would say aguacata or aguacado and stuff like that. You can see online a big list of all the early times when people mentioned this fruit. They start in 1562, go into the 17th century. And in 1660, they talk about this poem that was written by Abraham Cowley, which mentions avocados. But they don't say what the poem is. None of the places say what the poem is. And that really intrigued me. I'm like, why are they glossing over this? So I found this poem. 
A fragrant leaf the aguacata bears, her fruit in fashion of an egg appears. With such a white and spermy juice it swells, <laughs> as represents moist life's first principles. I said that's a completely flawed description. Are we sure they didn't want the avocado? <laughs> I've never wow. got white juice swelling out of my avocado. No, no spermy juice in your avocado? No, am I not leaving it long enough to ripen? They had different types of avocado. So the one that we eat now is a Hass avocado most of the time. Right. Uh, mm. And this was an old kind of one that you would get. Some of them were white and okay. egg-shaped. I think the main crime there is rhyming swells with principles. <laughs> Do you think? <laughs> Which is <laughs> not... Like, that's what offends me the most, apart from the spermy juice. Um, do you know there's a um, there's a Hass avocado board who are the official authorities on Hass avocados, which are the ones that almost everyone eats today. Okay, yeah, yeah. And they they have huge amounts of data on their website about avocado consumption. Yeah. Uh, US US based mainly. Okay. But so is that why that guy was following me when I went to my local organic shop to buy some <laughs> avocados? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Would you, you say it's very spermy, sir? <laughs> It's quite spermy, very spermy, too spermy. <laughs> they released a bit of research recently that they found that avocado shoppers divide into several distinct tranches. There are people who buy no avocados, first of all. They're not really interested in no, those no, people. No, quite. Uh, there are moderate shoppers. Then they have mega shoppers who buy a lot of avocados. Yeah. But above them, there's That's top me. tier ultra shoppers. Wow. Ultra- How many do you have to be going through to get to an ultra shopper level? I think it's achievable. I go through six a week. Stop it. Yeah. We do about the same in our house, yeah. I think you guys might be a new category. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so ultra shoppers in America spend $100 a year on avocados. Oh, I spend way more than that. Well, there we go. Um, the ultra shoppers go to the shop 183 times a year and one trip in seven they buy an avocado. Okay, well I have... Avocado, so I don't go to the shop. Oh my god, is avocado named after avocado? <laughs> oh my think god, so. no, avocado! All they sell be. is avocado, isn't it? <laughs> Why does everyone Let's use avocado. this? <laughs> it's all replacement products, isn't it? <laughs> we didn't have your pint of milk, it's an avocado. <laughs> we didn't have a pint of milk. What you've got is a bit spermy. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that there's a Puerto Rican island where monkeys roam free, but the humans have to eat their meals in cages. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Planet of the Apes. It's like a reverse zoo. Is it like Planet of the Apes? It's like both the things we just said. Yeah, it is like Planet of the Apes. The the apes keep the humans in cages in Planet of the Apes. God, I always confuse it with 2001 A Space Odyssey. Sorry, I haven't seen Planet of the Apes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, we're getting sidetracked. Um, yeah, so this is, it is like a reverse zoo, um, sort of, in that it's an island called Cayo Santiago off the coast of Puerto Rico, and it's a research centre. It was started in the 1930s. Basically, it's full of monkeys, and humans are not allowed to go there um, unless they are researchers. Um, and it's part of the discipline of it. You really can't disturb the monkeys. It has to be like they're living completely wildly. They're rhesus macaques. And so if you're going to go and eat a meal you can't just do it out in the open where you could get in their way if they want to you know cross your path so they sit in a cage and eat their eat their meal it's pretty yeah. funny and the reason for it as well is because this is such a deadly island to humans if you go there mm-hmm. the reason it's a deadly island is because the monkeys there have herpes a kind of herpes <laughs> 
Um, Sorry, it's a deadly island because the monkeys are not happy. Yeah. <laughs> Darling, I'm about to tell you there's good news and bad news. Uh, Wait, what's the good news? The good what? news is I didn't catch it from a person. <laughs> Does it count as cheating? Catch what from a person? Well, there, that brings me on to so the bad news. I have a question. Yeah. How am I going to catch herpes from a monkey? Do I have to use the same toilet seat as them or what? Well, no. Why is it dangerous? It's dangerous because they might use you as a toilet so <laughs> that's that's the problem they can transfer herpes via their urine so if it makes contact with you they can transfer it by their feces oh. and you know reese's uh, macaques love to throw feces at people so yeah. you know so if you do happen to catch herpes and you need to go to your partner and say that you've got it you can say i caught it off a monkey throwing poo at me exactly yeah. there's a legit reason someone right now i bet is dealing with this dilemma on the way home <laughs> you better hope you've just been on holiday to india <laughs> because like me and you, Andy, once um, both held a koala, didn't yes. we? Yes. And they're riddled with chlamydia. Yeah. So that would yes. be a reasonable excuse for that as well. You could come home with all the STIs after a tour <laughs> and blame it on the local animals. And um, the gonorrhea is from a millipede <laughs> that I met in Santiago. Really nice legs. <laughs> really nice legs. <laughs> um, just to wrap up, the reason that the cages are in yeah. place is because, for that reason, if you're eating your food, the monkeys will desperately want to try and get it off of you. And so the cages are to protect you from getting herpes while you're eating your meal. Okay. Yeah. Um, the story of how they got there is amazing. Mm. Yes. It's really cool. So they were brought over from India in 1938... Uh, and it was for scientific purposes, wasn't it? There was a mm -hmm. scientist called Clarence Carpenter, which is a great name, who um, was responsible for bringing that, wanted to study them, their social groups and, and such like. Uh, but the Second World War was about to break out. So this ship with 500 monkeys <laughs> on it... This must have been... I want to see a movie about the journey. Yeah, yeah. Because they wanted to go through the Suez Canal, but they couldn't because tensions were high and the war was close to breaking out. Yeah. So they had to go around the southern tip of Africa instead, and it turned into a much longer journey. The voyage lasted way longer than it was meant to. It lasted nearly 50 days, and he was on board with them all the time. Yeah. He, he was. And have you seen the one photo of him on board? <laughs> no. It's so, he's wearing a bathing suit. <laughs> it's quite odd. I don't know if he was going for swims in the oh. Pacific on the way over, but yeah, yeah Clarence Carpenter. Begging for herpes. <laughs> I love if that was a movie. I'd love to see it as sort of like a William Dampier pirate sort of trying to take over this ship that just turns out to have five hundred yeah. monkeys. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we've got the yeah. two stories <laughs> yeah. kind of weaving in and out of each other, and it ends with a pirate attacking the monkey. Yeah. And catching herpes. Yes. The most ambitious crossover in movie history. Yeah. <laughs> um, Gandhi was very much against them, wasn't he? What, against them taking the Against monkeys? them taking the monkeys. Oh. In, uh, Life magazine did some articles when it was established. And in one of them, they talked about Gandhi preaching against the exportation of India's sacred rhesus monkeys. Oh. Yeah. And eventually oh. they banned it. But yeah. really? not for quite a few years after Gandhi had died. But uh, yeah. okay. They used to have people living on there. So the first caretakers of the monkeys were this couple called the Tomalins. And uh, they kept one of them as a pet called Pijita. And Ooh. yet the rest of them... Well, I don't know what's better, being a pet of two humans and stroked constantly and fussed over by them. Or yes. just being led to live your life. I don't know. Left to live your life. But anyway, they... That's a really philosophical question, yeah. isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. One for Are you happy maze. with servitude or would you like freedom? Yeah. 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 When you but... put it like that, it's actually quite easy. <laughs> no, but the, bar, the bars of the cage are made of gold and, mm. you know, there's a nice bed in the cage. And... Yeah, yeah, but then, but then on the other side, freedom. Yeah. Who of us can say what 
what bars surround us. Well, indeed. <laughs> you know, what yeah. compromises I can say made? what bar surrounds me most nights. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the monkeys all had this conference, this chat, <laughs> and they nominated Fujita. But Michael Tomlin sounded quite fun. He would apparently regularly swim the one-kilometre channel back to the mainland, would drink a fifth of vodka... I actually don't know what what was a fifth of. Well, that's what <laughs> that's what Eminem says in that uh, Stan, is it? He goes, "I just drank a fifth of vodka, dare me to drive." I think he says that. Ah. Who says so, that? Uh, Eminem. Does he? I think so. So oh it's obviously enough that you're going to be drunk. I can't believe this guy Michael Tomlin is cooler than we are in that he gets Eminem <laughs> slang. Well, and he lives on a monkey island. He's way cooler than we are. <laughs> what are you talking about? I think American listeners will be writing in droves very shortly to explain exactly <laughs> yeah. how much fifth is. Just so we're clear, in the UK we don't use we that don't. schema. We don't. Yeah. Was in the 1930s. Anyway, apparently it wasn't even vodka. People just said that because he was Russian. He actually preferred <laughs> rum and coke. So uh, okay. Anyway, he'd swim over and then swim back, presumably hammered to the island where his wife was looking after the pet monkey. Um, these days there are 2,000 uh, rhesus macaques on Cayo Santiago, but also I find this so creepy. Uh, almost all of them have tattoos. Yeah. Sorry, that's not the creepy bit. It's a bit creepy. It's a bit strange. Well, they haven't chosen to get a tattoo, have that's, they? That's even creepier, arguably. Is it? Oh, no, what's creepier? What, what are they tattoos of? They're not... Scientific stuff. Okay. There's I heart mum. <laughs> <Yeah>. or... <laughs> no, sorry. I forgot. Scientific stuff. <laughs> yeah, like... Uh, uh, Equals MC squared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the speed Pie of light in the vacuum is... Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. No, sorry. That's not the creepy bit. The creepy bit is that the island is also home to a collection of 3,300 monkey skeletons. Oh, um, okay. You mean the dead monkeys? The dead monkeys. Well, yeah, obviously they're the dead they, monkeys. Yeah, so but... What they didn't do is bring in the monkeys and say, what would what would they like around them? What kind of like furnishings a, like, can we like add? Like in a fish tank, you know, you know a skull, often a skull. No, but you never just... have a dead fish in a fish tank, though. You never have a giant dead fish that's swimming in an asshole. It's creepy. Okay, so the question is, why did they not take away the, the skeletons or bury them or, yeah. or whatever? Exactly. And I guess, well, they still need them to study them, as in it's such a long-running research centre now that you can study generations going back and you can obviously study the bones of the monkeys that lived there before but I think it would be creepy if they had a cool mausoleum full of all the monkey skeletons but they don't have that no, no they don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't think mausoleum makers are allowed on the island I don't think that research project's going to get funding but that's a good scene for the Dampier monkey movie where yeah, that's, that's where the treasure's buried yeah. it's like at the Goonies you know the cave. oh yeah yeah Wow. So anyway, some food for thought. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see these sick tattoos that the monkeys have. Einstein with his tongue out on his bicep. Uh. They do, I mean, it is a really important island because they do discover stuff. Mm. We haven't yeah. just dumped monkeys there and sort of forgotten about it. And I think it's sort of like a rite of passage if you're a monkey researcher. I reckon if you said to your monkey researcher mates, hey, I'm doing a Cayo Santiago research project, then oh, yeah. you'd be the coolest kid in town. Yeah. So some stuff they've discovered recently is that after any kind of trauma, scientists now think that we probably age by apparently up to eight years. And this is based on... Oh my God. It's a spurious link, but that's what <laughs> scientists years. do. Um, it's, this is based on Hurricane Maria, that awful hurricane in 2017, oh, yeah. that it killed a lot of people in Puerto Rico. Didn't kill any of the monkeys, but totally destroyed the island. So all the trees were blown wow. down, there's no shade. The average temperature on the island rose by 8 degrees. Oh, gosh. Which is wow. rough. 
because they take blood from the monkeys all the time for scientific reasons, they had the samples before that they could compare to the samples afterwards. And they looked at like lots of markers in the blood and the immune system and the proteins. And they found they showed signs of aging by about two years just from that hurricane. Wow. Because they were right. so stressed about it. What, and humans live much longer? And human, so they've sort in of human years, apparently. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's another monkey island, which is in Liberia, which is a bit sad because it was a monkey island that didn't have any natural resources. So the monkeys there had to be fed daily by the researchers. Mm. So they would they would bring bananas over every single day. But then in the 1990s, um, there was the war. And as a result, the research unit fled and these monkeys were just left on their own. Um, and mm. so they had no one to feed them except one guy called Joseph Thomas, who for the last 40 years has been going twice a day to this island with bananas and feeding these oh these God, beautiful yeah. monkeys uh, who come into the water to him and he knows them by names like Mabel and so on. <laughs> Mabel. And, yeah. 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 Mabel and so on. Name examples. Mabel Mabel's the headline Mabel, name. Edith, Prudence, Aggie, you know, normal name. Very funny. Uh, <laughs> um, did you hear how Joseph Thomas was recruited for the job? I don't think so. Uh, so this was in the 70s, and it, this was another research island. It was set up by a woman called Betsy Brotman, and she was trying to find a vaccine for Hep B. And um, she actually did come away with a vaccine for Hep B, although she's since said it's actually a bad idea to test on animals. But mm. at the time, she set this research island up in the 70s, and I think it was her who recruited Joseph Thomas because she went to him and said, I really want to learn to play tennis. You're good at tennis. <laughs> I also need someone to help me on my monkey research. And they made a deal where if he taught her tennis, he would work on her monkey research. Now, I know that what? sounds like <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> he's not a very one-sided exchange. Yeah. I'll tell you what, we'll do a deal. If you do all this work, I'll also let you do all this work. <laughs> it was basically that. You know, you know, there is an island where you've got lots of potential tennis partners you can go to. Monkey tennis, monkey anyone? <laughs> I've been to a monkey temple in... Um, where was it in Nepal and that's another place where there's just monkeys everywhere they're just kind of running around and stuff mm -hmm. and when I was there you kind of you have to keep hold of your stuff all yeah. the time because they saw a monkey stealing someone's mobile phone and their bag and then running to the top of a huge building and then the local the guys who were kind of in charge had to come with a big stick and prod him <laughs> and then someone climbed up to get the mobile phone and stuff so wow. do you know this is something Ethan uh, our fellow researcher told me yesterday um, that they know that mobile phones are more valuable than let's say something less valuable mm. well, they, they, I don't know if they know an iPhone is more valuable than a Nokia but they <laughs> they did a study at another monkey you're temple. saying you'd be completely safe if you went there Anna because I'm your fine. phone was made in 1983 <laughs> I've got nothing desirable for the they, monkeys they actually wouldn't recognise your phone as a phone <laughs> <laughs> um, they did this amazing study uh, over so they filmed monkeys for 270 days in Bali at this one temple and they realised that when, when monkeys take something off you they negotiate with you for food in exchange for it so they take your phone and then if you give them two bananas they give it back or whatever and by watching them they realised that you know the higher the value of the item if they're still on a phone rather than a camera case then they'll barter for high, like more bananas wow that's really clever <laughs> it's really good isn't that's it that's incredible <laughs> yeah. terrifying have you guys heard of Snake Island oh, oh uh, yes. where is that it's off the coast of Brazil oh, and it's called no. Ilha da Queimada Grande 
and it's completely dominated by a special kind of snake, special kind of snake, a particular kind of snake. They're golden lancehead pit vipers. Okay? Oh gosh, they sound scary well, and dangerous. They, maybe they are dangerous. They're venomous. Um, their venom melts the flesh that they bite into, oh. and they evolved venom to incapacitate and kill the seabirds that land on the island. They are not nice snakes. Um, they can climb trees, which helps them to eat the birds that they love to feed on. And on this island, there is about one snake per square meter. Wow. What? So you, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. A lot of them will be in the same square meter, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Even it's, not, so. it's not one every square meter, but nonetheless. <laughs> They're not perfectly arranged like on a chessboard. <laughs> <laughs> They're playing a huge island-wide game of snakes and ladders. Yeah, yeah. It's very hard to win. It just sounds completely terrifying. Why would you stay there if you were a bird? My great. I don't think they're reading TripAdvisor and thinking, oh, I'll risk it. Like, they're just flying and they end up there. Yeah, but get back. Tell the others. I've been to a rabbit island. Have you? Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Near Hiroshima, it's like just an island full of rabbits. Wow. Uh, It's not a research island, there's just loads of rabbits there. In Sydney, where I live, there's, it used, we used to have a rabbit problem down in the northern oh, beaches, yeah, yeah. Palm Beach, and, and we used to drive down at night, and you'd put the headlights on of the car at high beam, and you would just see what were, in the daytime, empty fields, just back, like packed like they're at Glastonbury it's watching. Really, honestly, it's quite scary, because you yeah. walk down the street in, these, in this Japanese island, and the rabbits just follow you. Because they used to be fed by tourists. Oh, no. And so you sort of turn around and there's 20 rabbits behind you and you kind of walk a bit faster and you turn around and there's 30 rabbits behind you. <laughs> oh, it's really, yeah, that's really good, scary. That is a good horror and film. what STI well. did you get off there? <laughs> <laughs> okay, it is time for fact number three and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that in 14th century Italy, if you wanted to insult a nearby city, you would send all your prostitutes to take part in a running race around their walls. <laughs> well, I didn't have any prostitutes. <laughs> well, you've just been in a war, probably, with that city. Uh-huh. You probably picked up a few on the way, is have the I? truth. Mm. Yeah. I didn't know I was into that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I saw this in a book called Running Through the Ages by Edward Sears. Uh, and we're talking, so Middle Ages Italy, you've got, loads of different areas owned by different people so you've got the papal states you've got sicily but then you've got places like florence pisa siena luca milan genoa all those kind of city states you would say and from around the 13th century for about 400 years we seem to have this really odd tradition of whenever you're battling with another another city or you've beaten them and you want to celebrate that or you just want to you know stick it to them you would have a running race around their town and it's so weird and there were lots of different versions of this but one of the biggest insults was you would get a load of like mules or donkeys and then you would get all your sex workers either from your city or ones that you picked up through the war and you would just get them to race around fun Yeah. And then it did sound a bit like because armies, as you say, they would they would gather the sex workers and they would bring them along for the, the battles. Even you know, if the yeah. if the armies were facing off, really? they would have them do races sort of in the front. And it, and they said that's what that that's why they're here, darling. <laughs> that's why we brought them. <laughs> do you think this racing. is all fake news? I do. This didn't happen at all. <laughs> the wives turned up to surprise their husbands one day. At, we at came the for the races. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. The the point of it, as far as I can tell, is that it was a big collective screw you to the other city that you're. That's it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so. Um, they would they would do loads of different things. So one of the things they did, they would gather outside the city. So you gathered outside the opposing city-state. Then you would find the oldest tree in the area 
and you cut it down, yeah. which is a symbolic castration, apparently. <laughs> I know. Right. And then they put the tree on a wagon and wheel it up to the city, <laughs> like just really up close, like, look, that was your look, tree. and we This got- is your penis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then they would go to the stump of the tree and they would start minting coins on the stump. What? Okay, so I know, I know. At this the is base completely... of your castrated penis. We're going to make coins, and then basically, they, what they were saying was, we're going to change the currency that you operate yeah, in. Yeah. We're minting coins, and some of the coins would, I think, depict um... a picture of someone minting a coin <laughs> on your tree. <laughs> yeah, but it was this whole. Like, they'd show, a... I think they'd show them being vanquished, wouldn't they? Or yeah, they'd show yeah, humiliating yeah. scenes for the enemy. These yeah, coins, but it, the tree thing does imply that there's a lot of explaining to do when you show them the tree in the city. <laughs> they have to say, "This is your oldest tree, guys." <laughs> they go, oh, is it? Okay. We couldn't tell which was your oldest tree. We've counted the rings. Uh, we think it's, it's pretty old. Uh, it's only, then- <laughs> it was your tallest tree, but that might have been a different breed. Um, uh, actually, that was, shut up, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of them says, okay, so, and then you have to say, no, but metaphorically, it represents us castrating you. I don't know how upset you're going to be. <laughs> also, are you yelling to the top of the guys yeah. on the wall? It's a hell of a complicated conversation. You're sending messages on paper aeroplanes yeah. over the wall. Look, look forget... Forget the penis thing. We're, we're talking about the coins now. The coins sh- no, it doesn't matter about the penis thing. All right, we've moved on. All right, raise the prostitutes. Yeah. <laughs> Release the prostitutes. Well, the thing with the prostitutes is it was slightly more literal in that they would often race around land in the city even and so that you're basically saying we can do what we want around here you know what you think that you own this place we can run our prostitutes Mm. I read an account of the prostitute races not being just for when you're sieging and at battle you would do it in uh, generally around town so like um, there would be kings who would use them to do it as a display just to show a sort of minority of society doing something a bit derogatory humiliating yeah just to sort of push the point of like I'm the king and I'm running this yeah, place and and what's interesting about it is so there was one that was done where the race would end up at St Peter's Square um, well, in Rome yeah and so it was done there this is in the 1500s you don't get that these days no. I don't know <laughs> if you've been to St Peter's Square but the Pope is not going to like that <laughs> so this is 1503 and it wasn't just prostitutes who were part of the race it was you know elderly people were in it children were in it as well they would all be naked but the prostitutes would be wearing underwear very odd oh, underwear really? very racy in those days wasn't it underwear I think what, more racy than having your um, I genitals hanging out I believe because <laughs> mo- a lot of people didn't really wear underwear mm. I'm going off memory here but a lot of people didn't wear underwear right. but prostitutes would wear them to, because it's you know a nice bit of mm. ooh look Sc- what might scantily be clad is saucier than nude yeah you know yeah can be Adam oh, depends on context it does but you know Adam and Eve just innocent pure first people alive yeah. Adam and Eve wearing a kind of um it's called thong, thong, thongs oh, made of leaves. Suddenly yeah. sexy. Yeah. And that know, was yeah. the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Using the snake as a garter. Yeah. That's a sexy thing now. Well, it depends if it's one of those pit vipers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Flesh <laughs> melting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they weren't even half, they were just naked. Not even half naked. Because people do seem to be described as half naked a lot um, doing it. Sometimes. And it's, it's all too. Um, it's all just about insulting and humiliating, isn't it? Yeah. And I read quite an interesting description of why this was so common in Italy, these, this taunting. And it's because, obviously, Italy wasn't Italy the country um, for, until extremely recently. Um, it was just loads of city-states. And so warfare was quite different to a lot of other places because it was just city-states against each other. So it wouldn't be this, like, lots of action on these big battlefields and seizing lots of territory. It was pretty much just sitting there besieging a city. 
So yeah. you just sat doing nothing for months on end. So you had to think of other things to do to make them feel bad. <laughs> like a, sp- a sports day. Yeah. Is it sports day? <laughs> <laughs> Egg and spoon race. Bring out the prostitutes. <laughs> they should do a sack race because you're trying to sack the city. That's yeah, where nice. it comes from. Uh, that, feels, <laughs> that feels like a trick you play as a besieged city. Persuade them all to climb into sacks. Oh, right. then... Was that the original Trojan That's horse? That's the Trojan sack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 5,000 sacks. <laughs> been left out in the front. With heads. <laughs> the other really interesting thing in the source that you sent around, James, oh, yeah. was about the ribbles. Oh, the, yeah, so yeah. I didn't know yeah. if you get like the, the word what? ribald that we use today. Uh-huh. So ribald is in um, you know like rude, rude and raunchy, um, mm, a bit yeah. of a ribald joke. Um, ribalds back then were people in like low people in the army. Seems mm. like, and they would do these races with the prostitutes, or I think they were sort of pimps as well sometimes. So they were, I guess, tasked with sourcing the prostitutes sometimes. And they seem to do kind of all the low stuff that other people, like the knights, wouldn't want to do. So they would have to drop their pants in front of the enemy and shout swear words. Well, it's if- very hard to drop a suit of armour. <laughs> <laughs> it's like dungarees, you have to do it all on the shoulders. <laughs> so annoying going to the loo. Um, so they'd shout swear words at the enemy and uh, they would, uh, they'd scale up the walls. Their responsibility was scaling up the walls because yeah. they didn't really get given many good weapons. And the pillaging, a lot of the pillaging, which is a bit ungentlemanly, the ribalds would do that. They were that. kind of like your first... They were like cannon fodder slash mm. first line of attack, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, really interesting. And I did find it really interesting that they would be the pillaging because the knights couldn't really pillage because you were a knight, so you couldn't really do any of that stuff. Right. But they could go in and they'd grab a load of stuff and then just gamble it away, wouldn't they? Yeah. yeah. Which they were- I'm surprised because I, I think what it smoothed over, because I know that knights returned from warfare with a lot of stuff that they'd stolen. I yeah. reckon they had a sharp word with the ribalds after they'd done the pillaging and said, all right, hand some of that over, I'm right? I'm sure you're right. Mm. Yeah. Surely. The, uh, the ribbles were nicknamed the Knights of Shit. <laughs> they were just, really? the, yeah, they're just absolute base grunts in the army. Yeah. Darling, I've got a job. I'm a knight. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a knight. You Shit. definitely put the end of that in your business card. The knight, word yeah. knight will be very big. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Ipang Palace uh, is in China. And there would be people, soldiers in armor, who would kind of be sieging the palace. And the people inside the palace would taunt them. Why do you think they might do that? To come towards the gates. Uh, is it because they're taunting them to get to the point where they pour the boiling oil on their heads? <sighs> it's close to that, actually. Okay. It's quite close. Um, so the people inside are taunting the besieging forces. But it is getting them close, yeah. right? Okay, yeah, so yeah. it's either going to be like spikes come up through the ground. Yeah. Um, mm. Or they're gonna then so they say, to, "Ha The tree's actually that way. You've got miles to run." <laughs> That's good. They're, um, they're wearing uh, iron um, armor. Oh, it's a magnet. Oh, it's a magnet. What? The what? gate. I kind of thought that was a joke. The gate what? is a magnet. Oh, uh, no, not strong enough to what suck them in. <laughs> this is what the stories of the time say. <laughs> That their I mean. gates were made of lodestone, which attracted iron. And so whenever the soldiers came near it, they would kind of be all over the place. They couldn't move properly and stuff like that. And so the people in the palace would go, ah, fuck you. Uh, you can't even come close, can you? God, so could you wake up in the morning one day, go you outside your castle, yeah, the- and a nighttime <laughs> commando army who tried to take over and just 
plastered around the whole Every morning you just scrape the knights off the door. Yeah. It's not sticking them directly to it, which was actually your comedic version of that. Oh, okay. Actually, it just makes it more difficult for them to, to run around. Oh, wow. Oh. Would it feel a bit soupy? That's a suggestion. I mean, but no, did this would, actually <laughs> happen? Well, no, not, you know when you put two pencil rubbers and I know your face you mean. and it's like a weird force in between. But there's no way <laughs> this Chinese propagandist who was making this up a thousand years ago or whatever, there's no way they actually had magnets strong enough I, that an entire army I, starts crumbling. I gotta say, I didn't think lodestone was a real thing. Um, well, you can get magnetic magnetite, for was. instance. Yeah. What Chinese people would call lodestone in these accounts, we think probably was magnetite. Oh, okay. But it's interesting then if that came out as a rumour of being truth, because then if mm. you were approaching the castle and you had your armour yeah. on, you might take it off, thinking, you'd, I don't want to get clever. sucked onto the wall. Start, so you'd clever. start just feeling a bit awkward about whatever you were doing. You know when you can't move anything right, you know, you just because you're feeling embarrassed. Yes. Right. So you'd start thinking, oh, well, this is probably the magnetite making me move yeah, awkwardly. Yeah. Like and placebo. then you move more awkwardly. Yeah. What? Like a placebo effect. Like kind a nocebo. Of thing. Yeah. yeah, like a nocebo. Like a nocebo. Yeah. Yeah. Although I do like Dan's version better, which is you're, you're worried about it, you take your armour off and then you just yeah. get attacked. That's yeah. clever. Yeah. Oh, did you, you must have read that story, but if anyone didn't read that story a few weeks ago at Hadrian's Wall, it was no. one of my favourite no. news stories in years. Um, please look it up because you need to see the visuals. But basically, archaeologists were digging around at Hadrian's Wall recently and they found this volunteer, actually, volunteer retired biochemist called Dylan Herbert found a uh, 40 centimetre wide sort of block of stone with an engraving on it which is a flawless cock and balls like it looks <laughs> stunning the best a 12 year old boy could master and underneath it it has the word secondinus cacor uh, which is like slang secondinus the shitter just perfectly uh. written there 1700 years old and that's there. Second Dean is that's how he's remembered. And the BBC article reported that the experts who uncovered this believe the phallic image alongside the quote adds to the force of the written insult. <laughs> Undoubtedly. <laughs> Imagine that. Second Dean is like, we don't know anything about this person, right? We know one thing. <laughs> that is the most successful bit of insulting Isn't in it? history. Yeah. That's the yeah. dream yeah. when you insult someone. That's great. <laughs> Poor guy. The guy, actually, the guy who found it sorry it sounds so fun finding it as well this old guy said only when I removed the mud did I realise the full extent of what I'd uncovered and I was absolutely delighted (laughs) (laughs) okay it is time for our final fact of the show and that is my fact my fact this week is that a member of the Romanov royal family Prince Rostislav Romanov lives in Hastings as a painter his friends and wife refer to him as the artist formerly known as Prince. Brilliant. That's very funny. It's a wonderful little gag. Uh, doesn't work, does it? Because he's never been a prince. Well, he, the Romanovs were gone a long time before he was born, I'm yeah, guessing. Yeah, but they, they were, absolutely. But he and they still are trying to sort of suggest that maybe one day they can return. So they're keeping the titles and they keep it alive. Okay, as a sort so of is he technically family. a prince? Does he, call himself, does he style himself as a prince? Yeah, he does. I think he does interviews as a prince. He talks about the royal family in exile. Okay. They have, as part of the Romanov surviving family... Um, a head who would be the heir apparent to any return that would be made of the family. So yeah, I, I would say he is he is a prince. So he was born overseas from Russia. Um, all of the Romanov family had to leave, um, and as a result, none of them have ever lived within yeah. Russia. Apart from the ones who were brutally murdered by the Bolsheviks, of yes. course. Yeah, they're still That's there. Le- still leaving, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, nowadays, he finds himself living in Hastings, where he is an artist. You can go on his Instagram account. I quite like his art, actually. It's pretty fun. Oh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, and he does interviews occasionally to talk about his relationship with the family and what's going to happen one day and how they might return and so on. Is he plotting a comeback? It's worth a try. They... I would say it's actually not worth a try. I have to say, <laughs> I would not be wanting to invade Russia right now, I don't think, as an artist living in Hastings. <laughs> I wouldn't back my chances. Well, here's, here's the thing. There are attempts occasionally to bring them back into power. So we were just talking about Monkey Islands. Someone actually tried to set up a Romanov Island. And this, oh, yeah. Yeah, and this was, this was the Pacific Island of Kiribati. And the idea was that they wanted to take over this island, turn it into a sort of a resort. But they said, could we revitalize the uh, royal family and have them rule over here? So this, they tried to have Monkey so Island. Cool. It was a Russian MP. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was called Anton Bakov. And he, uh, he was quite critical of uh, the Putin government. And, and he... Putin said, back off. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and he wanted three islands. They were uninhabited, so they would have been a great place to kickstart the whole Romanov dynasty again. And the islands were called Malden, Starbuck and Millennium. Starbuck. I know. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, Moby Dick they're... thing yeah. or the must have been a restaurant Moby... chain? You would think Moby Dick thing. <laughs> yeah. And also, can we just pick up on Anna calling Starbucks a restaurant chain? <laughs> <laughs> says a lot about your standards. <laughs> oh, Anna's taking me to a restaurant tonight. Oh, great. I wonder which one. Seven coffees for dinner. Yeah. I have. No, he, did. he wanted to make a kind of micronation. But I think the Kiribati government refused. Yes, they said no. our sovereignty is not for sale. Well, yeah. he was also talking to the Gambia and apparently really? had support of Yaya Jame, who was in charge really? of Gambia at the time. Um, and that was to construct some artificial islands off the coast of the Gambia. Uh, Do we know what his cool. plan is after? I see that that bit is easy enough you go to a tiny island where no one lives and you declare yourself the czar when what how are you going to then go from it's there to ruling russia it's a stepping stone <laughs> you've got to have a base i would argue that perhaps his long term might not even be to take over russia it's just to have the romanov empire yeah back oh it's a bit sad imagine if you called back the romanovs and showed them some crappy little rock in the pacific and said this is what your empire is well he also bought some land the side of the vatican in montenegro um, so he's really? trying it in loads of different countries. Okay. Nice. I like that. It's, it's like risk, you know? You just plot yourself and it looks like nothing's going on and then suddenly <laughs> a couple of moves and you've taken over the world. I don't believe you ever won a game of risk. <laughs> <laughs> Dan is playing risk and trying to negotiate for three uninhabited islands <laughs> in Kiribati. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Prince Philip, linked to the Romanovs. Yeah. In fact, oh, yeah. so linked to the Romanovs, because when his parents got married, Tsar Nicholas II, the last Tsar of Russia, was at the wedding. And his great-aunt Ella became a nun. Uh, Prince Philip's great-aunt Ella mm-hmm. became a nun, and after her death, uh, became a saint. And they were always yeah. rather proud that they had a saint in the family, <laughs> which I think is fair enough. Yeah. I mean, that's quite Do you know cool. what, she, what were her... Uh, Saintly moves. I don't know what her miracles were. No, no, no. That's that's all I know. But But um, Philip was used recently, wasn't he? Just before his death for a blood sample to confirm the identity of... What was it? It was bones of the Romanovs were contested and the scientists were trying to work out whether they really were the I think so they were in Katerinburg and they were attacked by the Bolsheviks and they, um, they killed all of this family. But there was two of them who were supposedly breathing when they took the bodies away. And there's a suggestion that those two had escaped. Mm. Now, when they found the bodies, they found all of them apart from these two bodies and they tested them and they realized they were the Romanovs. So that kind of gave fire to the conspiracy theory. But then they found another two bodies nearby and that's the recent test that they did and they found that they were related to the Romanovs. 
because one of the supposed princesses lived for many decades, didn't she? And, and was always insisted that she was the surviving so there was daughter. Oh, there was Anastasia. Anastasia. Yeah. So, yeah, you do want the kids film. I actually didn't know about that film, but <laughs> Anastasia was one of these two people. Yeah. And there was um, there was a hoax of someone called Anna Anderson who claimed to be um, her. Yeah, that's it. That's who I'm And thinking. she got really famous, I think. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah. But it turned out she wasn't. Um, no. Right. It is strange being descended from defunct royalty, isn't mm. it? It's a very, oh, very yeah. strange life. I was there was an article in Newsweek saying that London is actually the hot destination for heaving. most. It, it's heaving it's amazing, with all the it? throw a brick. Well, I guess it's because there's like we we happen to have retained a royal family. The other most of the other countries sort of haven't. Uh, it's in also Europe. one of the really flashy royal. Fa- like I think British people don't appreciate how. Um, high uh, investment the British royal family is compared with the, the other European royal families. Oh my cycle, god, cycle they're so humble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> They've got but, a little cottage. But there are only about half a dozen monarchies left in Europe, I think, and the British yeah. one is the sort of biggest ticket one. It's a biggie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a biggie. And people have been coming here since since people started deposing royal families. It obviously became very trendy from like pre-Second World War and then under communism, of course, in Eastern Europe. They didn't love having the kings and queens there. I think King Zog of Albania was stationed <laughs> uh, at the Ritz for a long time yeah. after he was forced into exile. Um, speaking of Zog, mm. uh, there is a crown prince of the Albanians today. Uh, that is Lika Anwar Zog Reza Badawin Mziziwe Zogu. Uh, and <laughs> this is the person that should the Albanian um, royal family ever come back, he will take wow. over. Uh, it's quite a good name, isn't it? I'd love to see him turning up at you know customs, basically, and opening his passport, and then opening the next wing of his passport. <laughs> <laughs> do you think he has a concertina thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. What he has to wind little Tiny handle. little trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really interesting because Anwar, part of his name, is named after Anwar Sadat. Uh, and yeah, and Reza is named after Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, who was the last Shah of Iran. Iran yeah. And so he's basically taken all of these names from all the different deposed people and then put them into his wow. name. Oh, like he has his parents have. Uh-huh. He basically lives in Tirana anyway, <laughs> capital of Albania, and he has a like a little royal residence. It's a quite a nice house, but it's not ma- it's not a mansion, <laughs> it's not a palace. Uh, and when he opens his gate, he has a little yard there, mm. and inside the yard, it's all the unwanted statues from the last, you know, hundred years that they got rid of when communism fell. So there's like a statue of Hodger and a statue of Lenin and Stalin and stuff like that. Right. It's funny that he's got them as the <laughs> well, they're like, King who's going to want these? No, and they looked right. at his name and like, oh, he'll want them. And it's kind of that's kind of sad, isn't it? Because in a way, yeah. he's the final statue. You know, yeah, he's yeah. sort of purposeless. One day he'll just walk through the garden and freeze. <gasps> That's a nice fairy tale. That's really good. Yeah, I, I really like. Do you know of Princess Kamatari of Burundi? No. So no. she she moved to France in the 1970s, and she did this because her father was assassinated, and then the king of Burundi was assassinated in 1972. So she fled. She went to to France, where she became the first ever black supermodel uh, in France. Oh, really? And there might have been others, but she was really the first one who was going on the front Super of magazines, yeah, yeah, and so on. And she said that obviously it was her connection to the royal family that got her the gig because the magazines at the time were basically only putting on blonde hair, blue eye models. But she was brought on as a princess. So she said, you know, I could have been black or blue or a crocodile. They would have put me on because I was a princess. Mm -hmm. And then people thought she was so beautiful that she became an actual model. So she did that for years and years and years. But then she moved back to Burundi because she thought, you know what, I'm going to run for president. 
So mm. she set up a big campaign where she was going to try and become president of the country. Um, and I love that one of her priorities as the presidential candidate was to bring back the monarchy. <laughs> that was like <laughs> a, a opening bit. Well, that's good if you're open about it, I think. You yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> as if you're obviously campaigning for it. I was just looking, wondering what the weirdest fate of a descendant was. And mm. I was reading about the daughter of Romanian King Michael I, who had to abdicate in 1947. She's called Irina Walker. And um, in two, 2014, she was done for staging cockfights. Really? That's her <laughs> life now. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wait, wait, so when you say staging, you just mean putting them on. You don't mean, like, fixing them. <laughs> no, but I think they're very that's often a, fixed. Yeah, but that's a, another level of illegality, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? True. Not only were you doing a cockfight. <laughs> it wasn't even fair. <laughs> She's very successful at it, it sounded like. She used to charge spectators $20 each. She lives in Oregon. She lives in Irrigan in Oregon. Brilliant. Stop oh. it. Good stuff. And what's her name? Irina. Irina. Irina in Irrigan in Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, she charges people to watch roosters fight with knife, knives attached to their legs. Oh my and goodness. the winners would get up to 18 grand. Um, the Greek royal family, they were abolished in 1974. Okay. Uh, so they were exiled overseas. And one of the princes, Prince Nikolaos of Greece, was discovered in 1995 <laughs> uh, working under a pseudonym as a production assistant for Fox News. Really? Yeah, the channel. Um, wow. And yeah, so he'd been working there as this production assistant. And the only reason he was outed is because they were doing a story about his brother, Prince Nikolaos's <laughs> brother, getting married. And they saw their standing as one of the groomsmen their production assistant. That's amazing. They're like, what are you doing oh, wow. here? Oh my God, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, I was reading about Crown Prince Otto okay. of uh, the Austro-Hungarian. He would have been the Crown Prince of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, is um, he current? Is he alive? He's yeah. not, he died in 2011. Yeah. He died at the age of, I think, about 99. He was really old when he died. So the Austro-Hungarian emperor was dissolved when he was, I think, about seven years old. Um, but he was officially the King of Hungary and Bohemia, Grand Prince of Transylvania. Oh, uh, that's a good one. It is a pretty good one. His name was Franz Joseph Otto Robert Maria Anton Karl Max Heinrich Sixtus Xavier Felix Renatus Ludwig Gaian Pius Ignatius. <laughs> was his dad Jacob Rees-Mogg? <laughs> I, can I just say Maria in there is a weird one, isn't it? Yes, it is. I noticed that. I think I didn't read the full thing. When I was, <laughs> just copy-pasted it, and then when you're reading it out, it it's like, a surprise what? to me. Although yeah. maybe that was their excuse as well. Also, I Carl- didn't fully read this, but we... <laughs> but also he had Karl Max in his name. Karl Max. Karl really? Max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, so he was, you know, seven years old. The empire is dissolved, which he's the crown prince of, technically. Yeah. So, um, and he had to kind of rebuild his life, and he, you know, he learned seven languages he became an MEP which I find interesting really God, yeah. that's a fall from grace isn't it you're going to be prince that's an a MEP. big ballot as well isn't it yeah when you've got all of his name on <laughs> he actually got the votes of about 17 different candidates because they thought they were voting different people I'm going to vote for Maria <laughs> and I love this bit of his history and in his life so he, he, he had a really interesting life um he helped organise the Pan-European Picnic of 1989, okay. which is a little-known bit of the end of the Cold War, and it was, a, it was uh, on the border between Austria and Hungary. So you've got, you know, free market west on one side and, and communist zone yeah. on, in the mm. east. And uh, thousands of people came and sort of gathered there to have a kind of cross-border picnic, mm-hmm. as it were. And then actually 600 East Germans just moved into Austria. They just sort of mm. fled across the boundary. What, oh, but it was, like during the picnic kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. can it I borrow your ketchup? <laughs> oh, I'm here now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, sorry, I was just running away from a wasp. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that were said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. James. At James Harkin. And Anna. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep, or you can go to our group account, which is at no such thing, or our website, no such thing as a fish.com. All of the previous episodes are sitting up there waiting to be listened to. We've also got links to the final leg of our Nerd Immunity tour up there. Go see if we're coming to a city near you. And if we are, come along. It's an awesome night and we'd love to see you. Otherwise, come back next week. We'll be back. Another episode. We'll see you then. Goodbye. <laughs>